the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. No word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's our post-Easter show. And I mentioned that in case I don't make any sense. Uh, There's a bunch going on. I'm a little bit tired, but we had a great, great Easter. And I'm praying with confidence that you had a great Easter service or multiple services yesterday as well. As you know, we were at uh, the Judson High School Performing Arts Center. And that's always a change for us and a lot of work involved because we're going off campus here. But it really, really was a good time. People got saved, and I hope and pray that's the same thing that happened for your Easter Sunday as well. I am Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions. We'll do the best that we can. All you have to do is call us. You can do that by dialing 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area here in San Antonio, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, Remind you every day, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, it'll come up on your screen, call now banner at the top, just touch that, and then you, with your hands-free feature, can talk directly to our studio producer. So that's how you get in touch with us. Again, I hope you had a great day yesterday. Um, hope people got saved. Easter such a great, great day, and we had a, a good time here. Hey, by way of reminder, tonight our... Men's, women's, and youth, both high school and junior high school age youth. Uh, the Bible studies will be tonight at 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, ladies, you can watch the women's study at com on live stream. Uh, I can't remember who's teaching tonight. you remember? can't remember who's teaching tonight, but it's not Paula. But um, whoever it is, they'll be doing a really, really good job. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. And, of course, child care is provided and your kids will have a blast and learn about Jesus at the same time. Let me get to some questions that have been sent in. Um, first question comes from uh, through the studio. It says, hi, Pastor Ron. Oh, that's not the question. It's a different question. Comes, it says, um, it's an online inquiry to KSLR. Uh, and uh, it says, um, Pastor Ron... I have a question for you. Did God make a way for Gentiles to have a relationship with him similarly to the Jews' relationship to God? And where in the Bible can I read about this? Uh, I don't have a name here. I I know you sent this in to somebody else. I don't have a name, so uh, please forgive me for not calling you by name. Um, But um, I'm not quite sure. Um, what you mean by a, a similar relationship. And here's why I'm saying that. Um, we who are born-again Christians, 
we have a relationship with God that Jews couldn't even begin to imagine. I mean, think for just a moment about the Jews who had to come to God through law. Um, I always think of Moses on the mountain and, and, and the, the Jewish elders around the base of the mountain. No, don't, don't make us talk to him. Don't make us go up there. You talk to him for me. You see, that's the kind of relationship that we have with God based on trying to be good or do good or keep the law or, in our context, keep rules. So the Jewish relationship with God was completely different. It was nowhere near as intimate. Um, That's why it was so radical when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost and thousands of Jews got saved. I mean, the first day, 3,000, that's just the men, and then a couple of days later, another 5,000, and then just exponentially, there are reports that the, the early church had as many, just in and around Jerusalem, we have to remember the church was entirely Jewish, the early church had about 100,000 people in it. And if that's the case, it was because Jews, for the first time, understood what a relationship was. Now, make no mistake, Judaism is a religion trying to approach God on the basis of works or on the basis of doing good is a religious approach. Uh, and, and that's never what God intended. Now, it was the best they had, and that's what they did. But but again, when the Holy Spirit fell and God then came to live within them, it changed everything. It's why the religious leaders in the first century church couldn't understand why other Jews who are listening to Peter and James and, and John and all of the others, uh, they, they talked about them in, in, a, in a derogatory sense. These men are unschooled. In other words, they're just ordinary people. They're not religious leaders like we are. They're not educated like we are. But but people everywhere are listening to them. And so it wasn't until the Holy Spirit fell, and then those Jews, now while the church remained Jewish for some time in and around Jerusalem, um, the nature of those Jews' relationship with God changed completely, and suddenly they could speak to God and they could hear from God. They could be led by the Spirit of God. And that was just never the case when it comes to um, Old Testament Jews or the Jews in Jesus' day who didn't um, put their faith in Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and give their heart to him. So the relationship we have is a relationship that would make them so jealous. And that was in part part of the reason for the tension. So if I have missed the, the point of your question, um, please um, send in another question, let us know about it, or you can call 340-9585 and we can talk about it. But but um, the Jewish relationship with God was entirely different than any relationship that we might have uh, with the Lord uh, as well. So I hope that touches on your question. Here's a question from Nacho from our email inbox. He says, is there any significance of Jesus' ministry starting at age 30? And why was his ministry only three years long? Could dying at age 33 be significant? Uh, not sure the answer to those questions is no. There's no significance. What we know is that Jesus was born at just the right time, that he was revealed publicly as um, the, the, the Messiah at exactly the right time. So there's no why and there's no symbolism uh, this was the appointed time. And so from the perspective of of, of our understanding, um, Jesus' arrival was perfect. And why God chose it or why he lived for 30 years before starting his ministry, uh, there's no n- numerology significance, there's no symbolic significance. It's just very simply that Jesus was born at just the right time uh, he began his ministry. One of the things that we never have to forget, Nacho, is that Jesus did only what he heard his father do or or saw his father do and only said what he heard his father say. So Jesus was waiting. I always think when I get a question like this, Nacho, about the wedding in Cana, that's a perfect illustration of timing. Um... Jesus' mother, apparently prompted by the leading of the Holy Spirit, at the wedding when 
she found out that the wine was gone and the banquet master and the, the, the host of the, the wedding feast would have been so embarrassed because they didn't have anything for the people. Um, she, she said, Jesus, help them. He says, woman, my time has not yet come. In other words, why are you bothering me with this? It's not time for me to, to, to begin my ministry yet. And evidently, just as he finished saying that, his father spoke to him by the power of the Holy Spirit and said, now is the time. And that's when he went and changed the water into wine and amazed everybody because unlike most weddings, he saved the best for last. Now, I've never had a drink of alcohol, so I'm only theorizing here. But if anybody in the audience likes wine, can you imagine what the wine would have tasted like that was made by Jesus? It was alcoholic, but the quality of it, the taste, can you imagine? I also think, now I do drink a lot of water. I think about the water that came out of the rock in the Exodus wilderness. Can you imagine how fresh that water was? How cool and refreshing. Well, anything made by Jesus is going to taste great. So, again, Jesus didn't know when he was going to start. He was waiting for the queue, and apparently it came at the wedding of Cana, and that's why that was his first miracle. Good question, Nacho. Thank you very, very much. Here is an anonymous question from... Somebody says, I have a friend who recently came out as gay. We grew up in church together. He is my friend. Do I have to stop being friends with him? Anonymous, now is when he needs a friend more than ever. So no, don't stop being a friend. Now, the problem here is what we consider being a friend. And being a friend to this young man means simply that you can't condone his behavior. You can let him know that you're a Christian. He knows that about you. You've grown up in church together. But it's important that he understands that you're his friend. You'll be there for him. But it also requires you to tell him that what he's doing is sinful. It will separate him from God. His destiny will be in eternity and torment. And then tell him, I'm such a good friend that I have to tell you that. But by all means... Don't stop being his friend. Now, he may stop being your friend. That's the world that we live in, and there will be a lot of pressure on him to do that very thing. Well, if they can't accept you for who you are, then what kind of friend is he? But this is the time when he needs you the most. You need to be that light of Christ in his life. You need to be an example of what it means to walk by faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be there to remind him that Jesus said you have to deny yourself in order to be his disciple. And that means deny the things that you want. You've got to learn to say no to you so you can say yes to Jesus. And Anonymous, that's when um, it's most important to be a friend. Now, you may stop hanging around with him at things if he is going to come out publicly and begin associating and um, wants to get you involved in the process. Being a friend is not hanging out, not just having fun. There are times when that's wonderful. But being a friend is telling someone the truth, even when it risks the relationship. So please don't cross him off your list. Don't look at him as though he's broken. Just be the constant reminder that God is good, that God is faithful. And following God produces blessing. Rebelling against God produces cursing. And live your life in Christ with such a fullness that he'll see who the real Jesus is. So Anonymous, pray for your friend. and I know you're doing that. 340-9585. Here's a question from Theo. Theo says, uh, what about using worship music from false churches? Is God okay with that if our hearts are right when worshiping? Um, Theo, yeah, God is right is okay if your hearts are right in worshiping. Now, here's this is a problem, and I've been asked this question several times uh, on this program. Um, what we want is doctrinally sound music. Um, if if a church is a false teaching church 
I get usually the questions that I get about this question come from Bethel Church or or Jesus Culture Music or Hillsong, those kind of of entities. Um, but, but but the music is the music, and if if the music is doctrinally sound, then I don't see any problem with it at all. Um, it's the church that we should have a problem with, of course. So what you want to do if if your church is using um, Bethel music or Jesus culture music or Hillsong music is you just want to be able to say, okay, Lord, those are the, the words. You know, I, I'm not a music guy, Theo. So um, let me tell you what I do. And it just drives me crazy when we go places and other worship teams are playing. We just recently went to a, um, um, a Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference, Texas, Oklahoma. It was in Dallas. And I think 90% of the songs that were sung were really bad songs. I mean, they were just doctrinally, they were unsound. Um, you know, we all have C, uh, CLI, it's a licensing thing, and we we put where the music came from, and, and most of them were from Bethel Church. Um, and you know what I do? I just kind of change the words. God knows my heart is right, and I, I don't want to be a... a put a damper on other people's worship, so I'm not going to stand up and give them a lecture. But at the same time, uh, I understand the import of doctrinally sound lyrics. I also want to be sure that the songs are not drawing attention to us, that the songs are focused on worshiping God, and the way you do that is to worship the Lord. There were some songs that um, were, were so bad in terms of the doctrinal content that, you know what, I just kind of stood with the others and uh, I changed my focus of worship from the music itself to the people who were uh, seated around me. I was able to pray for them during it. That, that's that's a form of worship. So uh, mu- music is, is important, typically in this culture, how we express our worship. Um, but at the same time, the thing that matters is a right heart with God. So, Theo, um, don't worry about what your church is doing unless it's just a really bad church. Then then maybe it's time to change churches. Um, but but worry about what, where your heart is during worship. Here is uh, another anonymous question. Pastor Ron, I have a hard time being positive and upbeat. I'm a Christian, so what can I do to change? Um, anonymous, I, 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 I don't mean this sound harsh, but uh, what you need to do is be filled with the Holy Spirit. The joy of the Lord is my strength, is what the psalmist said. So it doesn't matter um, what's going on in your life. It doesn't matter if you're having a good day or a bad day. If you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, your day is always good. And I'm not being naive here. I don't mean that the circumstances are good. I'm not being trite with this answer. But but it means you have to reevaluate your perspective on things. And typically people who are not positive and 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 you use the word upbeat, um, they're, they're people who are focused too much on themselves. On what's going on or how they feel. And it's just it's like me, me, me. And the personal pronouns will kill your relationship with Jesus Christ. So remember, he's worthy of worship, not because of your circumstances, but because of who he is and what he's done for you. And I think what you need to do is recognize that whenever you are focused on you, I tell the church here all the time that if you're spending time with you, you're going to be miserable. So instead, spend time with Jesus. And if you spend time with Jesus, he changes everything. And Anonymous, I just have a hard time with Christians who are no fun to be around. Again, I realize that life is not all fun. I'm a pretty serious-minded person. Paula's laughing now because she would say, boy, amen to that. That's an understatement. But at the same time, there's such joy in my heart. Look at the little things God has done and is doing in your life. We have a man, we have a Saturday morning prayer group here at Calvary Chapel. Anybody can come, but but uh, we pray for an hour from 9.30 to 10.30 every Saturday. And Paul and I lead it as long as we're in town, which is 95% of the time. Um, 
uh, in, in prayer, we have a, a guy who uh, has been with us for a long time. Uh, he's had a really, really hard life. Physically, his life has been hard. Um, family situations, children, and, and other family circumstances. And he comes to prayer almost every Saturday. He doesn't make it every Saturday, but almost every Saturday. And when he takes his turn to pray, he always starts out, Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day. Now, it doesn't matter if it's 30 degrees out there, and I'm going, I cannot say amen to that. Or whether it's really, really hot, it doesn't matter. But he realizes, I'm up, and I'm out, and I'm here with Christians, and Jesus is here with us, and that makes it a beautiful day. And that's not faking it. That's just a man who understands that God is greater and bigger than his circumstances. And the Christian that is negative or the Christian that has very little joy is somebody who needs to focus on Jesus instead of on themselves. Get filled with the Holy Spirit and let him give you his perspective on everything. Every day you wake up, I'm taking a little time with this because this is really important. When we Christians walk around and, and compromise our testimony by, by, being, um, by having no joy or by focusing on how we feel or what's going on, the world just laughs at us. And we who are Christians are supposed to be salt and light. And how can we be light in particular when our whole focus is inward instead of upward? The Apostle Paul tells us in the little treasure of Colossians to set our minds and our hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And when he uses, he doesn't mean our flesh and blood heart. Our heart is the place of affection. The things that we really take delight in have to be the things of God. When he says, set our minds on things above, that's the place of decision. And we literally have to go to a a very practical, everyday place of making the decision. Today is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And if you say, well, how can I rejoice and be glad with all the bad things going on in my life? You need to look up. And if you look up, You're going to see Jesus. When you see Jesus, then everything will change. Here is a question from Zach. We'd love your live calls. I think we're inside about four minutes now, so 340-9585. Zach asked, Pastor, if God can't be in the presence of sin, how do you explain Satan being seen in heaven? Um, You know, Zach, I can't explain Satan being in heaven. If I was God, he would not be permitted in heaven. Um, but I'm not God, and God has a purpose, as a usefulness. Now, uh, I know Christians, we say things, God can't be in the presence of sin. But what he means there is that he can't have fellowship with sin. Obviously, if the, the enemy is there and the fallen angels have access to heaven, he's in the presence of sin. If Jesus is with us, he's in the presence of sin. There are many, many times, Zach when we are the ones who are sinning in his presence. And what that sin does is breaks off fellowship. It doesn't break the relationship. It doesn't mean that we lose salvation or anything. But what it means is that we have no fellowship. John says that if we claim to belong to Jesus, if we have fellowship with him, we have to walk in the light because Jesus is the light. And that means... Our fellowship is broken when we willfully sin against God. And it remains broken until we repent of that sin, and then our fellowship is instantly restored. So um, if God can't be in the presence of sin, remember that's talking about fellowship. Obviously God is omniscient, he is omnipotent, he is omnipresent. And since sin is everywhere and God is everywhere, he is obviously in the presence of sin. But fellowship with God depends on 
a personal relationship having been cleansed of our sin by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, Zach, and I think we're running out of time here for this half, but um, yesterday I was talking to our church on Good Friday. We have a tradition here. We set up a big wooden cross at the front of our church, and we have people come in in a line, and they, they write some things on a piece of paper, whatever God's dealing with them on, or whatever they need to give up to God. And as they come in during worship, they're, they're, there's a pound of, of, of uh, the sound of nails rather being pounded into this cross. We're pounding those pieces of paper. And yesterday, um, in our Resurrection Sunday services, I was able to tell them that the authority of the empty tomb renders all of those things that they nailed on that cross impotent. They nailed them to the cross. They can leave them at the cross. And they can do that because of the authority of the empty tomb. The empty tomb, you see, proves who God is. The empty tomb proves that what we believe is true and only what we believe is true and everything else is false. It means that we can have victory. Why? Because the tomb was empty, they looked for body, and there was no body. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. The phones are quiet, but you can still call 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show. 340-9585. Let me give you all a treat before I go on with some questions. Um, uh, Jocelyn Enriquez... um, her Easter single um, was released yesterday. Uh, you can go to YouTube, just in your search engine, write Jocelyn Enriquez. The name of the song is I Am Redeemed. And you will see uh, Jossie singing her new uh, Easter single that was just released on yesterday. So uh, that's her son, Matthew, playing the piano. Um, he and Jocelyn wrote the song. Uh, and it is absolutely beautiful, and you will be abundantly blessed. It's a great way to spend just under five minutes. Okay, let's get back to some questions. Here's a question from Damon. Did the sign gifts and miracles end with the apostolic era? Damon, my my answer is not going to be really satisfying because it's kind of yes and no, but it depends on how you understand uh, sign gifts and miracles. Now I can tell you without equivocation that miracles have not stopped with the apostolic era. The sign gifts have. Now, um, the, the idea of a sign gift, a sign always points to something, and in our case, the signs were designed to point to Jesus. So, uh, for example, when the church uh, was born on the day of Pentecost and everybody was uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, um, um, that's a sign gift pointing to Jesus, uh, and that gift has ceased. However, there's still a gift of tongues that's given, but it's a completely different gift. It's not a sign gift to, to others to point them to Jesus. Instead, it's a gift given to individual Christians in the church. It's a very viable gift, but it's very personal. It's a what I call a vertical gift, you know, most of the gifts of the Spirit are horizontal. Um, God uses us to minister through us to others. But the gift of tongues, um, not like Acts chapter 2, but the gift of tongues is a gift given that is vertical only. It's to enhance our worship experience with God, to, to edify or to strengthen our personal relationship, our fellowship with God. Uh, and so that's a, a what once was a sign gift of tongues is now a different gift of tongues. Um, the, the gifts or the signs and the wonders that you see in your Bible all had a purpose. And that purpose was to point to Jesus. When Jesus did them, he's pointing to, to the fact that he is the Christ, the Messiah. When the apostles in the book of Acts did those 
signs and wonders, it was to point to Jesus. It was to validate their ministry, to validate their authority as chosen apostles. And so it was necessary that the declarations they were making, the, the freedom that they were preaching, it was necessary, Damon, for um, those um, um, to, to help people believe. And, and so once the, the apostolic era ended, those gifts, those miracles are no longer necessary. Why? Because everybody knows about Jesus. There's so much information available that nobody needs a sign to point to him. Now, I know there are people who say, well, if God doesn't change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, well, then that shouldn't change either. But remember, God not changing is is a signature of his character. He's always changed the way he deals with people in different times. But in this particular case, we don't need any information. I want to expand just a little bit on, on miracles, because still today, God will do miracles. The problem with we who are in the United States, Damon, in the Western Church, we kind of think God owes us miracles. You know, we we look at marquee signs that are on churches or the, the freeway signs, miracles, assembly, uh, miracles happen tonight, those kind of things. Uh, we try to schedule the miracles are an imposition of God on a world in a way that couldn't happen any other way. And, and we try to schedule them and we counterfeit them. Um, that's not the purpose of miracles. I've seen people healed instantly. I've seen people who are high to the point of not being able to stand up, instantly sobered as I share Jesus with them. If you go away from this country where people don't know as much about Jesus, you'll see miraculous things happen with a lot more frequency. Personally, I spent uh, two days in Reynosa, Mexico, and spoke Spanish and understood Spanish. I do neither of those things, but I did for two days, God honoring the ministry that we sent over there. So yeah, there's still miracles that happen. We have a, a woman in our church, Raina, who um, so many of you were praying for. God did a miracle, an absolute miracle in healing this woman who said, or was told by doctors everywhere, her condition was terminal. She couldn't withstand surgery, they said, yet when they made the decision to do it for 17 hours, they operated on her and she came out cancer-free. So God used doctors, but that was miraculous. There's no other explanation for it. So we need to stop looking for flash and start focusing on substance, on Jesus. And there'll be times, Damon, when he'll lead you into some really neat supernatural things. But don't look at the miracles done by Jesus as though we can do them or even should do them. We're not the apostles. We don't have a ministry that needs to be authoritated. What we have is the word of God and the word unleashed does its work. So I hope that makes sense to you, Damon. Thank you very, very much. Tiffany asked, Pastor Ron, can God hear prayers from unbelievers? Tiffany, God can hear everything, of course, but when you say hear, he can't hear them in a way that he can answer those prayers uh, because they have no basis of relationship. Uh, you know, if I go up to a, a total stranger at a bank and I go up to the teller and say, in Jesus' name, give me $10,000, they're not going to do that. Why? Because I don't have a relationship, not to mention I don't have the ten grand. So for God to, to hear a prayer and answer that prayer, it has to be a prayer from someone with whom he, God, is in relationship. The only prayer that God can answer from an unbeliever is the prayer for forgiveness of sins. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my heart. That's a prayer he'll hear. That's a prayer prompted by the work the Holy Spirit is doing. 
But for an unbeliever to pray for other people, for an unbeliever to pray to God for for uh, material things, or to pray to God for health, um, you know, there's a wall that mutes the prayer, and that wall is sin. And in order for our prayers to be answered, then it has to be on the basis of relationship. So. Audibly, God can hear things, but relationally, God simply cannot. All the time, Tiffany, and maybe this is what spurred the call, spurred the call, or the question. We have people say, I pray all the time. But they're just praying to nobody. They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 340-9585, David says, uh, the Old Testament is hard for me to read. Um, can I skip it, or is it, or is there an important reason to study it? Um, David, the, the Old Testament, some of it is hard, some of it is tedious, and 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 frankly, um, some of it's boring. Uh, I'm studying on uh, the Book of Isaiah on Wednesday nights, and there are some Wednesday nights when studying for those Bible studies and delivering those messages are absolute labor. There are times when I just don't want to do it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And I can see it in the face of the people who are here for the Bible studies as well. But that doesn't mean they're not important. In the Old Testament, let me give you a a, a kind of a clue as to how to get some life out of the Old Testament. And it's to look for Jesus. He's there on every page. So whatever it is you're studying, look for Jesus. Um, when you're reading these long lists and these these genealogies, or you're reading the nations that have been conquered, or or the the, the regions of the conquest, um, just read them. Uh, the Lord will honor you reading it, but but you don't have to feel guilty because you're not interested. Um, it's a little bit more interesting. The more, the more you study, because you get more depth. I happen to like history, so you know, I like to look and, and make the store connection between the people and the times and the events that were going on. But remember, if you look for Jesus, David, the Old Testament will come to life. So skipping it shouldn't be an option. Here's a great way to look at it. The New Testament is rich, it's full. The Old Testament is sort of like, and I'm dating myself here, uh, a connect-the-dots coloring book. When I was little... I couldn't draw between the lines, so my mom would get me these connect-the-dots things, and and there would just be the outline. And then my sister could color really neatly. She'd color in um, between the lines that I drew. Well, the New Testament fills in those connected dots. But what happens to Israel in the physical realm in the Old Testament All of that happens to us in the New Testament in a spiritual realm. So there's great instruction. Those stories, we're told, were written as examples for us, Paul said. And the example is that we can learn from them, not repeat the same mistakes, and learn things. There's one other really important reason to read the Old Testament, and that's because the character studies are infinitely rich. Unbelievably so. Uh, the ladies here who are studying, and um, my producer told me Nancy Jones is teaching, and I we didn't I didn't remember who was teaching. Um, uh, the the ladies are are right now studying the life of Gideon. Um, there's not a better character study in all of our Bible than Gideon. Now there's a lot of really great ones, equally good ones, but there's certainly none any richer than Gideon. And so we need to be familiar with those. In fact, those stories are so important that Hebrews chapter 11, we call the Hall of Fame of Faith, that chapter is filled with the names of those people with those rich character studies. So please just sort of work through it. Study to show yourself approved, a workman rightly dividing the word. And Believe me, David, you will be blessed abundantly in the process. Um, but it's got to be a discipline. 
You know, it's not like reading a novel uh, or, uh, you know, immediately catches your attention and you just can't put the book down. But what it does is it, it just enriches you unbelievably so. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a caller, Glory, who called the station. She said, I wanted to thank you and Paula for praying for me and my work situation. Also, yesterday at the service, I attended the pastor who said that Barabbas was also called Jesus Barabbas. Was anyone else in the Bible named Jesus? Yeah, Gloria, there were a lot of people in the Bible named Jesus. It was a very, very common name. There is a, a follower of Jesus in their church, um, uh, Justice, who is called Jesus. Um, but, but after the real Jesus, um, they would come up with nicknames and things because nobody would dare take that name for themselves. But but yes, there was a a bunch of Jesus. It would be the equivalent of John in our culture. It's a very very common Jewish name, and um, so yeah, there were a lot of other people. Um, and I'm glad that your work situation is working out for you. Here is a question from Iris. Uh, which study Bible is the best for me to learn from? Um, Iris, let me ask you to do something just for me. Rather than getting a study Bible, get a Bible with nothing but Bible in it. Now there's a reference Bible, and they'll have little references for for um, other verses, but you don't have to chase those down. Just, just the Bible. And here's the reason I say that. We spend so much time looking at the notes commentaries in our study Bibles, commentaries that are written by men, not inspired by the Holy Spirit, not written by the Holy Spirit, that we neglect what the Word is written. So rather than dig right in with the study Bible, just spend time reading the Bible. As you read it, ask the Lord to give you light. Ask the Lord to... to, to Fill you with his spirit and help you learn what you need to learn. But rather than worry about a commentary, something that a man wrote, just get more familiar with what God has written to it. And if you'll do that, I promise you the Lord will bless that and you will learn. The other reason I want you to do that, Iris, is because when uh, you read the word, you get the word sort of hidden in your heart then you're going to be able to effectively look at a study Bible or at a commentary and be able to discern whether or not that commentary is spot on or not. You know, when you're reading a study Bible, when you're reading a commentary, what you're getting is man's opinion. And and sometimes they'll say something like, well, it's clear in this passage that, but, but but then you can find another commentator that says it's clear in this passage that, and then it's something completely different. So rely on the person of the Holy Spirit to direct you, to lead you, and equip you so that in time, and it won't be a long time, but in time, then you'll be able to really, really understand what discernment is, and you'll be able to pick the good from the bad. Let me tell you a quick story, Iris. When I first got saved, and uh, I had a, a physical, or not a physical, a spiritual a struggle with, with the Bible, I, I opened it, uh, and, and I would get nauseous. I mean, I, I felt sick, I'd feel lightheaded, and, and I, I wrestled with this for the first six months I was saved. And finally one day I said, you know what? I'm just going to, I don't care how I feel, I don't care if I get sick, I know I need to read my Bible, so I'm going to read it. And and I opened and started reading it, and I kind of got it. I certainly was a Bible scholar, and I had so many more questions than answers, but I got it. I, I knew that if it said to do this, then I had to change my life to make my life consistent with what I just read. And when you make those changes, when you're obedient to what you do understand, then God, the Holy Spirit, gives you more light on the things that you don't understand. And that's what begins the, the, the process of growth. Um, it wasn't too long after that, maybe another six months, Iris, and 
Uh, I was so hungry for the Word that I would literally spend 10 to 12 hours a day reading it. Uh, I'd, I'd go to a, a library. We had a, in the, the area I lived in at the time, uh, there was a, a place called the Claremont School of Theology, a horrible place, liberal, uh, horrible, horrible, horrible. But they had a great library. Had some good stuff in there, but lots and lots of bad stuff too. But but I, I get so hungry that I'd, I'd start digging in to study, to learn more. And I found, just because I'd been reading nothing but the Bible, what I found was I had the ability to discern what was junk and what was good. And God really, really used that in my development as as a Christian and then later as a Bible teacher. So um, please put away the study Bibles and just wash yourself in the Word of God. Um, I always read with a legal pad. Uh, I've, I've done this my whole life. And um, a pen... And if there's something I didn't understand, I'd make a note of it and then just keep on reading. And then later, I'd find in my continued reading that God would give me the answers to the questions that I had. And then I was ready to sort of dig in and find out what some of our church fathers thought. I was able to dig in and see what some of the commentators uh, would, would write about the same passage of Scripture. And I could sort of use them to make sure I wasn't getting goofy, you know. Um, but that foundation has to be laid first in the Bible. Here is an interesting question from Jesse. He says, Pastor Ron, have you ever seen an angel? No, Jesse, I've never seen an angel. I'm certain, 100% certain, I've been in the presence of angels, that, that angels were sent to help us. But I've never seen an angel that I know of. Now, Hebrews has a an obscure mention of uh, entertaining angels unaware or without knowing it. Uh, so it's possible for all of us that, you know, angels appeared in the form of a man. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see that. Uh, and perhaps they still do. Uh, perhaps it was somebody who was homeless and somebody who was who was really down on their luck and, and we just thought they were just an old homeless guy. Uh, and maybe that was a, just an opportunity to be kind. Maybe we were ministering to an angel, but but I don't think, Jesse, that when we see an angel, we're going to um, be able to know it was an angel. I think if we ever saw an angel like Daniel, we would fall down dead. Let's go to our first phone call today. Jarrett from San Antonio. Jarrett, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. You had a great Easter with your family and your congregation. I just... Absolutely love your show, and uh, I had a question for you. It's kind of a random question. Um, I don't know if you followed this transhumanism movement uh, in our society today and the technology of artificial intelligence, and people really, I mean, there's companies out there that are trying to, um, you know, build computers that will basically interact with your brain. Uh, and transhuman, you know, and have artificial intelligence giving you information into your brain. Pretty, uh, pretty frightening stuff. But is there anywhere in the Bible that talks about that? Um, you know, or you know, what what's what's your take on it? Uh, mm-hmm. if, if you're familiar with it, and what do you what do you think about it? Yeah, thank you, Jared. I, I'm 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 vaguely familiar. Now I, I have to confess, I'm not a techie. Um, and, and because I'm visually impaired, uh, I'm really not into virtual things at all. I can't see them well enough in real time, let alone in virtual time. Um, but yeah, I've, I've done some, some reading on it. And, and uh, you, you know what I tell Paul all the time? Um, you know, if, if you don't believe the truth, people will believe anything. And, and, and what that demonstrates is that we're looking for something more in our life. We're not content with what we have. We're always looking for something more. And I would suggest that that more is Jesus. And yet we always look other places. Now, there is a, uh, a prophecy in Daniel that says in the, in the end, and it's pointing to the very end of times, knowledge will increase. 
And certainly, Jared, we live in that time where knowledge is increasing. We have information uh, at a fingertip that it would have taken people weeks, months, maybe years to, to dig in and do the research and do the, the honest scholarship to find out answers. And now all we have to do is put something in Google and, and we can find all the information that we need. Uh, the problem with that is that when we have no Holy Spirit living in us to lead us into truth, that we will believe anything. And I get so brokenhearted when I see Christians who are cons- you know, into conspiracy theories and all those other things. But, but basically, Jared, the artificial intelligence, and it's amazing what smart people can do. It really is. But they're not smart enough to find Jesus. And so they're looking for ways around Jesus and ways to be happy, ways to be fulfilled and satisfied. And it's just never going to happen. All of this, I think, and, and we know the devil is a schemer. I don't mean to sound Neanderthal here, but the devil is a schemer. And we know he's called the prince of the air. And, and it, it is the, the enemy behind uh, so much of what's trying to replace God. You know, in the very end, the, the man that we know as the Antichrist is going to set up an image of himself. I personally believe it will be um, uh, some um, hologram-type thing, um, um, but, but the technology will be so advanced and people are going to believe. problem is they rejected the truth. Jared, that's as technical as I could be on the issue. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Remember the men's, women's, and youth studies tonight at 7? I'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.